Aloha. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. Disaster relief efforts. What do our local doctors do when there's a national emergency? Well, today we are joined by Dr. Monty Elias. He is an emergency room expert. He has almost 40 years of experience dealing with emergency cases and patients and what to do when there is a sudden urgent need. And he just came back from spending some time helping with hurricane relief in Key West in Florida and has previously gone to New Orleans around hurricane the time of Hurricane Katrina. So let's welcome to The Body Show, Dr. Elias. Well, thank you for having me. Now, you know, when I think of emergency and I think of what you do every day in the emergency room, I think of maybe just naively what you see on TV. Lots of things happening, crash carts and everybody getting saved. And a lot of people have this sort of maybe potentially almost comical thought of what truly emergency room care is. What is it really like in our local emergency rooms? And then we'll talk about how we translate that to disaster areas. So on an average shift, how long are you in the ER? Well, it depends on how busy it is and depends on how long you're scheduled for. So like 10, 12 hours or so? Yeah, well, then there's always charting afterwards. Oh, we know how much fun that is. Yes, we certainly do. So you could wind up seeing 40, 50 patients in that time frame. Well, the average is probably two to three an hour. When you get to be above two or three an hour, it gets to be uh, onerous because it's and it builds up because you still have uh, workups that are usually take a long time. Yeah, I mean, yeah. as opposed to my office where yeah. I might see somebody, take care of them, and then they leave. Someone might come to the emergency room. You start to take care of them. You're ordering testing. You're doing labs. There's a waiting time involved to get results. So they just keep piling up, Yeah, the, literally. the difference generally is we don't know the patients, nor will we see them back. So we have to kind of have a complete answer because yeah. it's a different thing. I would say, you know, if you want to compare it to what people think by watching TV shows— if everyone in ER doc took their most incredible case, maybe you got one or two, they'll take one or two and they'll make it seem like every case is that one or two that you seem in a lifetime. So it's not quite the same as a TV show, but there's a lot of reality. There is. And there is. And in fact, I, I find myself just freakishly attracted to watching these medical <laughs> shows. I mean, here I am, full day of work. And then what do I do when I go home? I want to watch this TV drama about medicine. <laughs> I mean, seriously. But then I'll find myself getting really critical about, well, that's not how they say that or that's not what they would do. So I really just got to turn off the TV at that point. Yeah. Yes. I imagine when you're done, you don't go home to oh, watch no, medical I shows. I don't yeah. watch those at all. No. Oh. Well, you know, you probably have more of a life than me. All right. So in the standard average emergency room workup, you see a lot of various different things. People come in with common things, abdominal pain, headaches, colds, coughs, occasional heart attack, occasional serious problem like a stroke. But is most of what you see kind of stuff that you can handle pretty well at this point? Sort of you can almost expect what you might see based on cold and flu season? Well, yeah, I think a lot of it is that you're in a medical center with backup. So you can handle because you have people behind you. So it's a team sport. It's not an individual sport. And we play zone defense. We don't play man-to-man. And that's an important difference. 
So let's talk about what happens when you go to a disaster area, because that's just totally different. You know, you're coming from a team sport where you've got the entry level of everybody coming into the emergency room, some of them really serious, but a lot of them, if they have complicated problems, the phone call away to a specialist or someone else who can help out. Now let's talk about the difference. What makes you go on disaster relief trips? Well, I think what makes me go on is um, I just started doing it. I uh, Straub had a contract at the airport, and we helped do disaster uh, planning and running large case mass, like if a plane crashed, what would we do? So we did a lot of scenarios with a lot of victims to triage and practice, and that got me uh, interested and in the problem and what to do. And then uh, when the Aloha Airline incident occurred on Maui, um, that was right the time when the government was creating these disaster medical assistant teams. So I joined the team. And the team was based in Maui, and um, I never did anything. And then finally, at the time of Katrina, I got a call, and they said, well, you're the only one who could go. So I said, okay, I'll go. So that's kind of when I started with my involvement was uh, during Hurricane Katrina. So what was it like when you landed in this area, which normally would look like, you know, a nice, you know, wealthy neighborhood, middle-class neighborhood, and and or certain areas that we could even mimic, you would think of, you know, here in Hawaii. And all of a sudden, now you're in the middle of this incredible, disastrous, what looks like it is the United States. But then when you look, you're like, no, this doesn't look like the U.S. anymore. Yeah. What's it like when you first land and you assess the terrain, assess what's yeah, going on? It was my uh, first experience. So I would say it was surreal. We landed in Houston. And everyone on the plane got off and went on a cruise. They went to the left, and we went to the right, and we started driving. And we drove, i guessing, I don't know, I forget, but it was a number of hours down to get to New Orleans. And everything was normal till we got just to the outskirts of the city. But the one thing that was different was the traffic going down there. And you would pass 30 ambulances going down there. You would pass 30 electric repair trucks coming from all over. They had license plates from all over the country. Tons of tractor trailers going down, bringing supplies and things going down there. So you knew it was different, and you knew it wasn't a normal traffic. And then when you got there, uh, the main thing that I was struck by was the silence. There just was no activity, no people. It was just really quiet, and the area was inundated with water. We were restricted to small areas that we went to. Um, So it was interesting. When we went to Katrina, I don't know if you remember, there was all the talk about the problems at the Superdome and the violence in the city. So um, certainly it was also a mixture of fear because you're going into an unknown place and the veneer of civilization is not always present. And that's what happens in a disaster. It's not much before civilization is gone and it's a more of a free fall than free for all that we're used to. So when did you encounter some of the people when you went to Katrina? When well, did you find the people that you could help? Well, as it, in most of these cases, the f- first thing we did was we hurried up, we got there and we waited. You know, you hurry up hurry and up you and wait. Hurry up and wait. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's very common and that's 
to be expected because it's a disaster. So they don't know where do we need to go, what do we need to do. Disasters are mandated. We're a federal asset, and they're mandated by the state. So there's a lot of politics, a lot of discussion. And where do you go, and where do you help, and where don't you help? There's a lot of discussion that that we're not a part of, but you know people do for us. So that's uh, one thing. Our first place we went to was the airport. We went to Louis Armstrong Airport. And they were evacuating New Orleans at that time. So it was the busiest airport in the world at that for the first day. They had a helicopter landing about every 40 seconds. It was just an amazing sight. So you'd stand there. The first thing we saw was just these helicopters coming in every 30 or 4 seconds, landing, people walking out, and the helicopter would be taking off. That was on one side. And they had them from all branches of the of the military. So it was just an incredible asset, an incredible thing to see. And then on the other side were the airplanes that were taking off. The people were going in there, and they were taking people off to Arkansas and other places where they would be. And uh, I will say what was interesting was there was an Air Canada plane. And if you know the history of New Orleans um, – the Cajun people came when they were kicked out of uh, Canada. So it was interesting that uh, they came back and didn't take them to Canada, but they they came to get them. So that was kind of cool. That is kind of neat. So when you actually got to take care of people, how do you set up your medical supplies? I mean, do you have, you know, I know when I went to uh, Indonesia with Aloha Medical Mission after the tsunami, we arrived completely unprepared, had no idea what to do, and just figured we'll get there boots on the ground, we'll figure out what to do. So eventually we wound up hooking up with some other organizations that were there and wound up working in the emergency room in Bondache. So we had a structure. So we came and we got to work with all these other international teams. And it was really well organized because we went there a couple of weeks after the disaster. And so there was already a structure. But when you went, there's there's you know no structure. You're yeah, just showing up. Well, we traveled two different ways. Sometimes we just travel as the group and we're independent and we we kind of work without medical equipment. But we do have these little tent hospitals that we can set up. So when we travel with a large logistics team, then we actually, like we did in, when we went to Key West, we actually set up a hospital. It's three large tents. It has generators. We have beds, medical equipment. It's quite an extensive thing. Um, when we went to Katrina, we were just a small, what we call a strike team. And when we went to the, um, when we went to the airport, we were just out front helping people unload off the, um, off the, however they came, they came in buses, they came in military transports, you know, it was just a line was about three miles long of people coming out and we were out there helping them. But inside people had set up these tents and they had these field hospitals that were there. All right. Well, I'm learning a lot. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here, and you're listening to The Body Show. I'm talking with Dr. Monty Elias from Straub Medical Center. He's an emergency room expert and disaster relief expert. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about what was it like to walk into an area that just got hit by a hurricane? How is it similar to his previous experience? And what can we all learn about triage and about what we can do to help when there is a national disaster because there may come a time when it happens right here at home. We'll be right back after this quick break. Stay with us. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributors Ulupono Initiative and Impact Hub Honolulu Co-working. 
Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, here with Dr. Monty Elias. He's an emergency room expert with almost 40 years of experience. We were calculating that (laughs) earlier, and he's currently in the emergency room at Straub Medical Center. And before the break, we were talking a little bit about what was it like to arrive in Katrina, after Hurricane Katrina, and deal with some of the immediate emergent medical conditions. And then we're going to talk a little bit about your latest trip to Key West. Were there some common medical problems? Problems that you saw in both disaster relief efforts? Yes, there were. I would say Katrina was a, probably the best place to start a career in this. It's someplace that has always been known as it's a disaster that's going to happen because of the geography. It's below sea level and eventually it's going to get flooded. And I met a number of ER docs who lived there and worked there. And one, where, one person told me, what you have to realize is you took an entire city and you put it in detox. And that was really interesting. And it was so true. So you've got a hurricane coming and you got warning. And the mayor rightly said, let's evacuate. So the vast majority of people evacuate. But what people don't evacuate, they may be people with pets who can't get on a plane. They may be people who are alcoholics who can't leave. They may be people who have drug problems and they don't want to leave their sources. Or maybe people who just didn't even get, you know, they're just not tuned in enough to know that these things are going on. So a lot of the people that remain are a certain slice of society. So it was interesting to see that those were the kind of problems. And what happens in the first day, two, three days, then a lot of these problems come through and people start to have problems related to that. So you're literally talking about when they said an area in detox, you mean that there are some folks going through some serious withdrawals. Right. And here you are trying to provide medical care. Not only is it difficult enough when you're, you know, at your home base trying to deal with someone going through withdrawal, here you are with people with no access to whatever their particular substance is. And there's nothing you can do about that. I mean, if there's no available things that they like, uh, there's no way. I mean, you can't necessarily start handing out alcohol as a treatment. So what do you do in those sorts of situations? How do you handle the the difficulty of someone going through such a serious medical illness at a time that is like the least possible convenient time and still find an ability to treat them for what they have, but also treat the other people who have other medical conditions? Well, you... I mean, you do have the ability to treat. I mean, we do have medicines and the same way we would treat it, you know, back home. So you do, in We're, this case, you had supplies. Yeah, yeah to we be able had to supplies. Yeah, okay. it's not something that we saw initially, but once we were set up, we would see these kind of problems. And certainly the people who had set up the, the hospitals or the, those 10 hospitals that replaced the hospitals that closed, they had ability to treat it. But it was just an interesting slice of, yeah, I of, wouldn't medical, have it. of right. medical stuff that we would see. Yeah. Now, let's talk about your recent trip. You just went to Key West after the hurricane hit that area of Florida. Mm-hmm. What was your first impression when you arrived? You flew into... We flew into Key West. The hurricane had passed over us. We were in Orlando when it passed, and then we flew in a, a Coast Guard C-130 and got in early the next morning. The initial impression that we had looking was how intact everything was. You know, it had been a Category 5 storm that had come through. And you have to realize that after Hurricane Andrew, I think in the late 80s, they had passed laws that you have to build to a Category 5 for to be able to withstand a Category 5. 
So the buildings were intact. There were very few of the blue tarps. A lot of times you go to a disaster and roofs are off and people are putting the blue tarps. So it was not a blue tarp disaster. So that was my initial impression. And then when you got to the ground, when you got to ground, there was just like very few people there. And that's the other thing you notice. But the same with same with the Hurricane Katrina, because most people they had the ability to leave, and um, that's a real contrast to what, what happened on Oahu. So they say three days you we have a big hurricane coming. How many people can get out because you can't get in your car and drive away? And that's what happened to Puerto Rico. That's one of the reasons why it's so unique. So if people ask, well, what are the lessons for Hawaii? I think you have to look more to Puerto Rico than anywhere else. There won't be those lines of trucks coming down. There won't be the lines of ambulances coming from Indiana, trucks with ice coming from Wyoming, or just everything that came. All those resources will not be available. Well, that's the scary point, and that's what we're going to talk about, is, you know, when you went to Key West, you said there weren't a lot of people, but there were still a lot of things that you were able to do. What sorts of things were you able to do once you got there? Well, the, the, the hospital there, and when we got there, there was no power, no water. Their hospital there um, had the emergency room open. They had one doctor who had been there and had been awake uh, for about three days straight, and he introduced us to Cuban coffee. So that's we so learned you how too we could did stay that. awake yeah. for three days. Straight. Yeah, that was pretty impressive. But Bring um, some of that back. So what we did is we set up one of those field hospitals out in front or across the street from the the Key West Hospital, and we would see the non-urgent cases. And in fact, as soon as we were there, people started coming before we were even open. I mean, before we got there, people started coming because they heard we were there. The hospital had to restrict it. If you don't have a serious problem, you can't come because they can't handle it. They they just had an ER without any power. So we set up this, and then we started seeing patients. And within the first hours, we were filled up. All our beds were filled up with people who had needs. And what happens in a disaster are a, people who have medical problems that um, – that need to be taken care of, or people that don't have their medicine. That's a big thing. Like, gee, I'm a diabetic. My insulin, I have no refrigeration. I have no insulin anymore. So that's a lot of the problem. Or people who are, have uh, kidney failure, they're on dialysis, and they no longer can have dialysis. And then the next spike, you know, once the people are let back in to a disaster area, then all of a sudden there's lots of things to do because people are cleaning up debris and doing things they don't normally do, falling off roofs, cutting their fingers. So there's a, a spike in uh, trauma once uh, everybody's let back in. Well, and it certainly sounds like the difficulties is that when you first arrive, everybody hears, hey, there's these doctors, there's all these resources, which is great. But then you have to deal with, like you said, people come back and, you know, sprains and suturing and tetanus exposure and all sorts of things. Because it's not like they're building a house and it's, you know, using great new lumber. It's dealing with rusty metal and all these other sorts of potential exposures that normally they might not have. When you see the people who come back to do sort of the rebuilding, the people who say, I'm back now, do you see less of the chronic illnesses that need more medication, or do you still see some of that kind of flaring up? No, usually uh, it depends, I mean, on the disaster, but usually by then they're letting people in because the infrastructure is obviously better, so it can support it. Because once the hospital gets power, they can start opening up. You'll have pharmacies opening up, stores, those kind of things, so... So usually not um, more of the um, 
more of two things. One are the trauma and the other are the infections. Because mm-hmm. when we went to Katrina and when we went to Hurricane Irma, the um, the wind in the water will stir up the water and various bacteria that's not normally around. There's one called Vibrio will come around and people can get sick. So you've got kind of infectious disease things and then you've got a lot of a lot of minor trauma, mostly minor trauma. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Amante Elias from Straub Medical Center. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about what are some of the lessons we could learn, even if it is from Puerto Rico where there is another disaster and they're still dealing with the recovery. What can we do here at home to be prepared? We'll be right back after this quick break. Stay with us. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributors, locations, Ekahi Ornish Lifestyle Medicine, and Hawaii Pacific University. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, here with Dr. Monty Elias from Straub Medical Center. He's an emergency room expert, and he has been dealing with disaster relief all around the world. Now, you've been to, we've talked about Katrina, we've talked about what recently happened in Key West. You've referenced Irma and some other major events that have occurred. Let's talk here at home. We can look to Puerto Rico And that should scare all of us because they are an island like we are affected by a huge hurricane. Granted, there may be some differences in their level of infrastructure or their code of buildings. But, you know, you look around some of our neighborhoods and we've still got some single wall construction built in the 20s and 30s. No real hurricane code involved. What sorts of things could people do now if they're concerned about trying to prepare for a hurricane season? What can we do that we could learn from your experiences? Well, people have experienced certainly those two hurricanes that hit Kauai. We're, uh, Look to them. We're, They've got a lot of education instructive for us. And definitely the aloha spirit was there and present and uh, was a good thing. When we go into any area, we go with an armed guard. And at first I was like really kind of freaked out. What was this about? But we go with federal agents with guns. And, and the more I do this, the more that I kind of appreciate it because you just never know because it's a it's a whole different situation. Um, certainly here we won't have that problem, I think, and it'll be much, much easier. But as our president said, we're in a small island in a big, it's a big, big ocean. So we won't have the resources, as I mentioned before. People need to have a way to have enough medicine to get oh, to get along. You need to sort of be self-sufficient. Meals and medicine. And if a big hurricane hits here, it won't be one or two or three days. People will not be able to, to get people out for quite a while because there's so many people here and limited airports. Um, your medications, some sort of refrigeration, um, those are important things. I don't know the answer in terms of infrastructure. Um, One thing that's interesting and that I learned as I do more of these disasters, we're part of the um, Health and Human Services, and they have a team, they have a list of 16 different categories of disaster relief, housing, infectious diseases. It's just a long list. And the medical team is just one out of 16, so we're a very small area of how big it is and how extensive a um, a response it takes to respond to to one of these. So I think people should feel that they're not going to be able to get relief and plan on what they'll do to um, 
take care of themselves, what their plan of action before it comes, where they're going to go, where they're going to shelter, um, those kind of things. Um, we're fortunate we have the military. That's a huge asset. And certainly I saw during uh, Katrina, the military was able to really do things that no other organization could do to help. And in fact, if you remember the news, they brought in that general um, honoree to actually take over the whole kind of rescue effort. So that was very helpful. So make sure that if you're on medication, you've got a good supply. Make sure that you do have, you know, when hurricane season comes, make sure you have a source of water. Literally, just get some water and store it in the back of your car, store it in your garage, put it somewhere so that if you need to access it, you can. The other things would be, you know, people talk about making sure that if you have medicines that require refrigeration, have a generator, have some way that you can keep those, or even in your neighborhood, have some person who's going to be able to right. to provide that. Uh, make sure you have food. I mean, food is one of those things that people are going to be hungry. They're going to need some food. And if anyone's diabetic or has a medical condition, they really can't go without certain amounts of nutrition, et cetera. Make sure you have, like you said, sheltering arrangements, particularly if you have pets. Make sure you have some kind of a plan. And if you're the person of all your friends who lives up on the hill, make sure, you know, if there is some type of a disaster and there's flooding, you may be the one where your friends want to come to see you or to come stay with you. So have mm. some kind of plan, even amongst your close friends or family. Where's everybody going to go? How are they going to get in touch? You know, I was kind of surprised to hear that a lot of the things that went on in Puerto Rico, people couldn't communicate. They didn't have the ability to power their cell phones and or they didn't have access or any kind of range. So they couldn't even send messages or do anything like that. So they do have these really cool crank radios that can charge your cell phone. And, you know, just, I guess, think about, I always think to myself, if I was going camping, what would I need? And then I got to make sure I have enough of that. Yeah, it's definitely like camping, and camping equipment is is good to have. Yeah. Pets are interesting because when we traveled to Katrina, we traveled with a veterinarian team. Oh, how interesting! And they were yeah. as bu- busier than we were. I bet because uh, a lot of pets were left behind, and it, a lot of people didn't go because of their pets. So that was kind of uh, interesting that they they didn't leave because they didn't fly. A lot of people we saw had never flown, and they didn't want to fly. Hmm. That was interesting. At the airport, we saw people who had never flown and didn't want to get on the planes. That was interesting. Well, and, yeah. you know, it, here, like you said earlier, you can't just drive away. I mean, it's not like you can say, okay, a hurricane's going to hit Oahu. I'll just drive to. Where are you going to go? You're on an island. I guess you could try and fly away. But if you can't and you're here locally, you've got to come up with a plan of action. So after all these experiences that you've had in these places you've gone to, you've certainly come up with a good list of what you what you think people here at home ought to do. What did you do at your house to make sure that you're prepared in case of an emergency? Um, I, that's Is a this good one question. of those things where, like, the contractor's <laughs> house needs work, you yeah. know? <laughs> well, I, um, I don't have any medicine that I need. I certainly take a lot of food, and I, I keep that in a car and I'm ready to go at a moment's notice. I have friends who live on a hill who I go to. I, All right. So I've done that You've before. You've got a plan. Well, when you have those tsunamis, you know, the Hawaiian snow days, then, um, you know, you stay out of school, then we, we go up there. Um, I would say for anyone who's listening, if you are a dialysis patient, that could be a real problem. And you should talk to your doctor because there is medicine you can take to mediate the effect until you can get your dialysis because we did see that 
at Katrina, people who were getting quite sick because they were not able to get their dialysis. So that's we have the highest rate of dialysis in the country. So it's a very uh, something for people to. Well, maybe to talk to the dialysis center yeah, and talk say, to your doctor "Hey, what's the, the plan there? if yeah. there's a problem? How should I access you, or what can I do?" Or? Yeah, but there may not be. You may not be able to access them. That's the point. There won't be any yeah. power. They can't. So run figure the out what kind of medicine machines. might I need. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot to think about. I think there's a lot of learning that goes on when we see places, and it's often hard to picture ourselves under those circumstances, but we have to keep in mind that it could happen anywhere. It happened on Kauai, as you mentioned, and it's certainly we've had a lot of hurricane warnings in the past couple of years. That one year yeah, it looked have. like Vincent van Gogh's starry night with yeah, all the yeah, hurricanes with all the that hurricanes came around coming. us. That's yeah. correct. All yeah. right, lots we could learn. I want to thank you for sharing your expertise with us today on The Body Show. Oh, thank you. It's a pleasure. Dr. Monty Elias is currently at Straub Medical Center, and he has been in the field practicing emergency medicine since as far back as the early 80s. Talk about a lot of experience. And he's been to disaster relief and continues to volunteer to go to those places whenever there's a national disaster and help all those who need their assistance. If you'd like to hear the show again, you can click on hawaiipublicradio.org, follow the links to The Body Show. You can also find us on the HPR app. Our engineer is David Chung. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. We'll see you next week and hopefully not have any disasters in the meantime. And we'll talk about more medical topics Monday on The Body Show. See you then.